the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Bullington Capital Report, hosted by Bill Bullington. For the next hour, you'll receive information on current market conditions and trends that could affect your financial future. If you have a question, you can participate in today's program by calling 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0WHK. You can also reach Bill by going to his website, BullingtonCapital.com. And now, here's Bill Bullington. Well, welcome back. Wow. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. Actually, we always have a lot of stuff to talk about because you know why? There are 7 billion people on the planet. <laughs> and some of them are always up to something. You know, it's just the, uh, it's amazing. Um, mostly good, quite frankly. Yeah. Uh, you, you hear about the bad stuff a lot and, uh, it's there because it, you know, it's easier to sell ads when you get more attention and, you know, What's that old saying? If it bleeds, it leads. Yeah, that's still alive and well. But I'm here to tell you, uh, things are not that bad. Things are actually pretty good. We've got a, uh, there's an interesting article in Wall Street Journal today. By the way, you're listening to Bill Bullington. I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. You can also find this as a podcast on the Fish's website, 955thefish.com, or on my website, bullingtoncapital.com. Um, I haven't posted the next seminar yet, but I will. So if you want to check in this week sometime uh, and you want to come out to a seminar, I think it'll be a very good one. This is a very good time to be paying attention to your investments. Last several years uh, have been really difficult for most people, mainly because one category has kind of walked away with most of the winnings. Uh, one category has been outperforming just about everything else on the planet. And that would be large cap growth, uh, large companies who are growing real fast, mostly technology. Okay. So the, uh, uh, at some point in time that probably shifts and some of the other categories begin to catch up because that's how it's always worked in the past. And when you look at the valuations on a lot of those stocks, valuation means what is it selling for versus what is it? What, what should it normally sell for? When you look at the valuations, they're all either fully valued or just slightly ahead of where they should be. And then you start looking down into smaller, medium-sized companies, and there are a lot more companies selling at uh, slightly below where they should be. So, and that would be expected if you looked at what happened over the past five or six years. In the meantime, you know, interest rates are low. Probably going to get a little bit lower. They just cut them again. It's interesting. They cut interest rates, and stocks went down. <laughs> that was a, uh, if you go back to your, finance classes or you've heard anything have been watching the news at all lower interest rates are supposed to lead to higher stock prices right yeah see that's why i don't listen or react to news in the short run because if you actually keep a journal of all the things that are supposed to happen and you watch how they how that they don't you'll stop doing that 
you'll actually find a, you'll come up with a different plan. And that's one of the things that uh, we're going to be talking about in that upcoming seminar. I, I can't remember the, uh, the date. I'm sorry about that. I will get that posted up on Monday. And I think this is a very important time. Uh, it's, it's a very important time. Uh, I think we're at a, a level where unemployment's very low, uh, for the first time. In, I'm not actually sure how long, but if you look at this morning's Wall Street Journal on the front page, it's talking about how China is no longer the top U.S. trading partner, which is really a big deal. That's a big deal. They're no longer our top trading partner. Uh, that is, that's amazing. I would have thought, had I known better to, to start thinking again, <laughs> that you know, when China gets knocked out of their the position of number one, that the economy would would suffer a lot more turmoil. Not that it wouldn't recover from it, just that it would actually be a lot more volatile than it has been. And so that's what I get for thinking. So it's a, a very interesting. I think it's a good development. I think it's awesome that we're not so heavily dependent on China, that we can actually spread the wealth around to other countries around the world. The United States being one of them. You know. The, the bad news about tariffs is prices go up. The good news is it employs more Americans. That's the good news. The good news is prices on American products are not always under pressure for a cheap import that may or may not be of high quality. And that's one of the side effects of price only uh, thinking. When you're thinking of prices only. You, know, you, you tend to get poorer quality. In uh, in the goods and services, you've heard, and you all know what I'm talking about. If you've been to a clothing store any time in the last three years and you bought something there and you got it home and you wore it and it ripped, um, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and it, it's amazing how many larger store chains are carrying stuff that's not high quality because the cost. That I don't know, man. It's, that that is a tough way to go. You'll never be the cheapest on everything ever, and. Uh, Quite frankly, being the cheapest is, you know, it's cheap. Cheap stuff breaks a little easier in most cases. But that's getting a little bit off the point there. The uh, the point was that there should have been more turmoil. There wasn't. What does that say? Uh, even if it comes, and you know, it's made, we've made a pretty decent transition away from that. And I think that it's a really good sign it's a really good sign. If I were, uh, you know, Chinese government, I'd be going, oh, you know, now we might have to start playing a little more fair, maybe. But uh, anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. It's it's just a good sign. It's a good thing economically. And one of the things I'd I'd like to direct everybody to, if you're interest if you're interested at all about this stuff called it's called five G. We've been talking about here for the last couple of years, and you know, it's no big deal. I mean, I just read a lot. That's all there is to it. I read a lot. Almost everything that's ever published, you know, starts off with just a trickle. There's one or two articles that'll mention something. And then you get more articles and more articles. And then eventually everybody goes, oh, well, everybody knows that. Well, well, yeah, you know, two years later, the uh, and when there are some missed opportunities, the good news for this is that these this industry, uh, that industry, the 5G industry, it touches all other industries and it's just, it's still in its infancy. You, know, you got a good, at least 10 years. I can't imagine everybody switching over to 5G devices in less than 10 years. Uh, 
When I say that, I'm not talking about just cell phones and televisions. That, that's generally what people think. I think. I'm not actually sure anymore because you know, I lost my ability to pull the entire United States at once. <laughs> actually, I never had that ability. But uh, just based on calls, comments, which industries is gonna, are, are going to win from this? Well, actually, they all are. All the industries are going to win with the rollout of 5G. Why? Well, because as people start buying some of these products and the sales in those companies start to go up and they start to hire more employees, if you don't believe that they're hiring, look at the front page of the Wall Street Journal, look up the economic statistics on employment figures. You know, the uh, Back when I was a college student, uh, it's so far long ago, I'm, I'm not even going to tell you anymore. <laughs> that uh, they said 5% unemployment was utopia and could not be maintained. Think about that for a second. These guys were decorated economists putting out this information saying 5% unemployment is utopian and even if it were ever reached, it couldn't be maintained. And we've been below 5% for, I don't know, years it's actually been years. What's really amazing is we haven't had double-digit inflation. That, that's that's amazing with that which with uh, unemployment rates being so low. I'm I'm glad to see that wages are actually starting to go up because I was at a Panera the other day. There was just me, uh, and I think it was three other people. My bill came to close to sixty dollars at Panera. <laughs> so there is inflation out there. Yeah, but you know they don't they don't uh actually track food and gasoline prices cuz that's a, those are way too volatile. No, it's actually I don't believe that for a second. I think you don't put it in there because if you did, the actual inflation rate would go up a lot higher. Okay. And if I were the government and I were responsible for paying the increases in Medicare and Social Security and I got to tell you what the actual inflation rate was, I'm not sure I'd include those things either <laughs> because I'd end up having to pay for them. The, uh, um, but that's, you know, that's one of the challenges, by the way, to retirement planning. And we talk a lot about, uh, withdrawal rates. And for a long time, I used to say, you know, somewhere between five and six percent returns have, have come in there a lot lower now. You're looking at somewhere between four and a half and five percent is the safer withdrawal rate today. Four and a half to five percent. Now that's when you start, by the way. That's when you start out. You plan on increasing that by inflation over time. That's why it's actually relatively low because it's going to go up in the future. You're going to need to take out more than that just to keep up with the cost of living. So that's the starting point. You know, and so if you're doing the math, you know, we're going to actually, I, I felt so bad the last seminar, you know, I have all these calculators. I've got a ton of them I ordered. They're relatively inexpensive. They have my logo on them. <laughs> and I was going to show people how to calculate how much money they needed to fund their retirement, and I forgot the calculators. Yeah, I, I literally forgot them. So we're going to try that again. It, it's relatively easy to do, by the way. You just divide the amount of income you'd like by 4.5%, okay? and that'll tell you how much retirement you can afford. Right. And if you can't afford to live on that, then, you know, we've got to come up with some, uh, some plans. 
And that's very important that you're coming up with plans for being able to retire one day. And uh, incidentally, I don't, you know, I'm not in agreement that people should retire as soon as they can. I've been doing this for a long time. My average client is much older than the average age of the American citizen. And I can tell you just observation, just over the last 30 years, people that retire and don't do anything, um, they have a tendency not to live too long. It's, you know, it's amazing. And I don't have the academic research to back that up, but I bet if I looked really hard, I could find it. It just seems uh, something I've, I've observed over these years, past three decades, that people who retire and don't have other employment, whether it's actually paid or unpaid, you know, a lot of people just volunteer, they tend to live longer. And I think, you know, it's kind of common sense now. People didn't think about it back when I was just starting out in the industry. Everybody wanted to retire and, you know, forget about it. Yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm not going to work anymore. But the, uh, I can tell you the ones that stayed active, you know, have a tendency to, to live and, and keep living. In fact, most of them are still clients. And the ones that quit, yeah, I don't, it says a lot. And, and now you think about it. And I think there's been so much more research on it that it's kind of common sense. But yeah, you don't really want to retire completely. Like I used to say, I would always love to work at Lowe's because my dad was a carpenter and uh, was a small subcontractor. Uh, only had four or five guys in his crew most of the time. And I worked with him every summer. And I really liked doing that work. It was v- extremely difficult physically because, I mean, we did it all. You know, you carry three pounds of, uh, I'm sorry, three bundles of 90 pound bundles of shingles. Let me say that again really slowly. <laughs> Three bundles. The bundles weigh 90 pounds a piece. That's 270 pounds. That's not the hard part. The hard part is they're square. <laughs> and you're carrying them on your shoulder and you're going up a ladder. So the weight is always shifting. That's the hard part. And you do that for a while. A lot of people can't do that, by the way. The, uh, but you do that for a while and you pretty much don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> if you can prevent it. So, but you do have that, that feeling of satisfaction. You got the physical activity, you, you know, getting to work outside. There's a, a lot of benefits to that kind of work. Uh, it's just that your body can't take that type of effort for that many years. So, you know, retirement for me was uh, not having to work that hard. And I always thought that the great retirement job would be to get a part-time position at Lowe's. And I love the tools, love watching it, looking at the new technology. And then I'm just reading uh, over the weekend that Lowe's is laying several thousand people off. <laughs> so I may have to work at Home Depot or Menards. <laughs> but that's a, uh, and then, by the way, I'm sure Menards and uh, Home Depot are, are part of the reason because that space being retailers, you know, sometimes the space gets overcrowded. There are too many retailers in one industry because it was really good and it was very profitable. And, and that just is the kind of the history of retail. They keep building until they saturate that market completely. Nobody ever knows really where that is. Uh, exactly. If they did, they wouldn't build it out that far to begin with. I, I think maybe they would anyway. But bottom line is at some point in time, they get a little bit too big and, and, you know, it doesn't work out so well. And that's the one, that's the main reason. That you really need to have a plan when it comes to your investing. 
And the plan doesn't have to be complicated. That's where I'm going to part ways with all the other people in my industry. They, you, you go to a financial planning website, everything is complicated. It's like, it's like they, they relish using a word with five or six syllables in it. Well, I got a rule. Use a word with more than three syllables when you're speaking with me, and I'm going to start tuning you out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Kind of. <laughs> but the, uh, I know if you're a scientist, you know, if you're a chemist or biochemist, yet yeah, you have to have multiple syllable words. The rest of us don't work in those fields. <laughs> we don't really, uh, I don't really appreciate having to get out a dictionary to figure out what you're trying to say. So one of my, uh, um, pet peeves in this world is, is people that use a whole bunch of, you know, really complicated language to describe things with because, you know, it confuses people. Uh, maybe not me necessarily. In some cases, you know, even with finance, you know, I talked to somebody about who specializes in, in a niche market. Yeah, I'm going to have to get my dictionary out and look up some of the vocabulary, which, uh, you know, I really wish they would learn how to speak and translate into normal English. So, uh, which is what I've, I try to do. In fact, one of the things, one of my efforts here this year is we've gotten a long way now. Uh, I think, I know I've been saying this for well over a year, but uh, sometimes it takes a little longer than you think it will. But the Lookout for the Bull website, where we're going to show people how to look at individual stocks, uh, it's mostly an educational website. Uh, if you want to use it to help you try to manage a portfolio, it's a very specific management style. I'm going to tell you that it's not for everybody, but everybody would benefit from uh, subscribing to the newsletter, at least even if only for a month, if only for one month, it's really going to help you out. I uh, feel very um, strongly about this. It's not going to be a lot of money. I've got a a kid who's a intern. He's working at uh, Case West. I was going to school at Case Western. He's actually going to run the site on a day-to-day basis. I'm going to provide all the research. I'll do the comments. Um, I'll give you a comment since we were talking about, oh, now that I hear the music, I'm going to have to hang on to that comment until after we come back from these commercial breaks. You're, Bill, you're listening to Bill Bullington right here on 1420. Stay tuned. You were smiling because I'm coming. Your eyes are a story. Notion of memories, pictures of faces and places. And we're back. You're listening to Bill Bullington here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. You can call me or reach me by going to my website. If you call me, the number is 330-664-0700, or you can just go to BullingtonCapital.com. There's a contact us page there. Uh, feel free to reach out and touch us. Got a lot of cool stuff coming up this fall. Uh, we've been working really hard on a lot of stuff this summer. It's not over yet. <laughs> the, uh, we've got a lot of effort going on. Uh, by the way, if you'd like to call into the radio station, the number is 216-901-0945, and I'm going to go to the phones right now. I have John. John, you're on the Bullington Capital Report. Good morning, Bill. You're on the mark for the high tech and the 5G, and uh, the law is going to catch up. FCC, uh, FCC has to catch up with it. They're still in Stone Age when it comes to 5G coming. Uh, Fourth Amendment Supreme Court said uh, the our own home is the 
telephone. It's part of our body these days. You're right. So the legal system is going to catch up. It's going to take a long time. And right. All that I can, I was watching this, this week, last Tuesday, Senate hearing on cryptocurrency. It, even with the Bitcoin, we got enough muddied water. In the good old days, you need only a lawyer, a P.O. box in Wyoming, Nevada, or probably in Delaware to have money laundering. You don't right. have to go to Cyprus or Cayman Island or Swiss. Now, with this cryptocurrency, I don't know where to go. You can get a dry cleaning instead of money laundering. Well, here's the thing about cryptocurrency. Okay, if somebody steals your money, you got to get in your car, go to the airport, get a plane, and then go try to find who stole your money because the U.S. government is not going to stand behind you. (laughs) Even the advanced technology, the blockchain, security, encryption, everything, with all that, you can never catch up. Hackers are ahead of the game, okay? Always. Some of them do it for the fun, like the lady right. recently did in Washington for the hacking capital. Right. Uh, you know, it, it's uh, progress is wonderful, but I think, you know, uh, infrastructure is not there. I think you're changing the roof before you got the foundation. Yeah, yeah. It, it's sad, but I'm, I'm all for progress, but I think we need the... Legal system is always going to be behind, and uh, we don't want any more problem for the sake of convenience. That's all. Yeah, I think people would work, and I hope the uh, export picks up a little bit with the weaker stronger. Yeah, thanks to Federal Reserve cutting a little bit of, you know. Yep. So that's all we can do. Keep up the good work. Oh, hey, thanks. Thanks for listening. Have a good weekend. And if you'd like to call 216-901-0945, 216-901-0945, you know, it's really funny. We were talking about, and I'm digressing a little bit. We were talking, what else is new? (laughs) We were talking a little bit about Home Depot and, uh, I'm sorry, Lowe's, Home Depot. I just lost, there we go. My sound went out on me for a second. Uh... There's a company called Builders First Source Incorporated. The symbol is BLDR, and it came up on the momentum scan. It was up about 12% yesterday. It uh, was also up in May. Um, looks like it was a lot more than 12% in one day, and it sold off. And it's got a low price-to-sales ratio. And they're kind of a competitor, but they kind of uh, specialize in builders, small and large home builders and remodelers. So kind of interesting that uh, we're just talking about that. And uh, this this stock came up. I just noticed that. I didn't even, uh, I hadn't run the scan for Friday yet. So I started running it and there it is. Perfect looking chart. If you're a chartist or if you want, if you're trying to work on identifying patterns, um, that's a pattern that you probably want to memorize. Doesn't mean that it's going to necessarily be profitable. It just means that right now things look pretty good. And if I were to buy this, the stock's $18.87. If I were to buy this stock, I would place my buy stop. I would place a buy stop order. Okay, These are things we're going to be talking about at the upcoming seminar and on the website, look out for the bull. And again, why? It's, in, it's an educational website. It's really for education, educational purposes. When you start to know this stuff as well as I do, and you will, it won't take that long. There's really not that much to it. By the time you know it as well as I do, you are going to be, your investing prowess is going to be so, so much greater than it is today. You'll be more relaxed in the funds that you buy. You'll be able to recognize 
those factors. Have you ever heard of factor investing? Yeah, it's the latest thing. It's been for the past three or four years. You'll know which factors matter and which ones don't. And you know what? Most of it you'll be able to teach yourself. If you want to teach a, uh, uh, I forgot what it was, the old saying, something about the giving giving the man a fish versus teaching the man to fish or a woman. The, uh, by the way, women actually tend to make better investors than men do. Sorry, guys. The, uh, <laughs> they just happen to be more practical. And oftentimes, you know, there's still those old stereotypes. They're doing more of the shopping. They do more of the, like when I go to the store, I am, I am old school. I know what I want. I go in, I buy it and I leave. <laughs> That's what I do. The, uh, yep, I'm a dude. <laughs> yeah. So, um, rare that I go in just to look around, unless it's the Apple store. I like to, you know, I'll, I'll hang out there for a while, but <laughs> I don't buy nearly as much stuff as I used to there, by the way. But uh, anyway, so you got Builders First Source came up on this scan. That's a good one. Uh, there have been other stocks that have been coming up, uh, other building materials. So evidently, and you should see how low their, their valuations are. I mean, that's pretty good. If a stock is running really fast, and by the way, it doesn't make that scan unless it's actually moving up very quickly. Uh, if it's moving up very quickly and it's still going up and its valuation is low, you know what? That You got to take a chance and just don't hang on to it forever. Don't buy it and forget it. That's the biggest problem I see with the uh, individual investors. They'll hear me talk about one of these companies. They'll buy it and they'll just forget about it. You can't do that. <laughs> you, you just can't do that. If you're not going to watch your stocks, don't buy stocks. You know, don't buy individual stocks. Um, if you're a value investor, then I'm going to say, yeah, buy it and forget about it. Set a target price where you would like to, to see it be one day where it would be either overpriced or super overpriced and then let it go. Okay. When it gets overpriced, why are you hanging on to it? You just, entered the field of gambling instead of investing. Why would you buy something? Why would you hang on to something that's overpriced? Because uh, you're, you're at that point, you're not an investor anymore. You know, and, and we don't, we don't like to teach that uh, at Bullington Capital. We like to teach how to manage that risk, to manage the risk. Using funds. If you're going to use a fund, if you're going to have, and, and I agree that today, most people should just be using funds. The momentum stuff that I do, there are funds now that are, have knocked that off. There are actually a, a, at least a dozen of them that are using things that are so similar to what I used to do with the momentum models that it really doesn't make sense to do that unless you just want to for the education and you just really like doing it. It's very educational. And if you really like doing it, then by all means, you know, you want to get to that next seminar because we're going to be talking about this at every seminar. I think one of my goals is, is to try to elevate, lift the educational knowledge of investors because an individual investor is just not doing very well. They're throwing up their hands and, you know, throwing their money into a market cap, the S&P 500, basically, which has beaten almost everything over the past five or six years. It won't always do that. I promise you. And it'll do it long enough to convince everybody that that's what they should be doing. And then as soon as that last person gets in there, it'll go down and it'll underperform. <laughs> you get a 50% drop like you did in the year 2000. And then again in the year 2007, the S&P peaked in 2007. And, and it's not just the S&P. 
most market cap weighted indexes have a tendency to get overvalued and they they have a tendency to crash and it ha- takes them forever to get back up again. And it's just so frustrating. It's one of the reasons that, that most people just don't do well. You know, they don't. And I get it. It, it can be incredibly frustrating. You look at the uh, emerging market index. You know, emerging market uh, stocks have been growing faster than stocks in the United States have been for decades. I mean, not just a few years, but decades. So why is the index the same price it was in 2007? If they've had rapid growth, why, <laughs> why is the index the same price that it was? Now, that's excluding dividends. You reinvest the dividends, you've got some sort of a profit there. But it's back to where it was in 2007. And it's just been one very aggravating, long ride. And if you weren't rebalancing the portfolio, if you just bought that and held it, you'd be really frustrated. If you rebalance your portfolio when it was down 70% the way it was in 2009 and you added to it, you know how hard that is for most people? Something's down 70%, I'm going to add money to it. I'm going to tell you it's almost impossible for the average investor. And then when it comes shooting way back up and now it's too high of a percentage of your portfolio because it was a uh, uh, it's moved up so much and you have to go in, you have to take some of the profits out of it. If you wait for 12 months in a day, it's a taxed at a much lower rate. If it's a taxable account, that's a good thing. If it's in an IRA, who cares? The uh, uh, Then you got some of those profits out of there. And the fact that it's selling roughly right around those same prices today, uh, it's gone down and it's gone up. You would have been selling, or I'm sorry, adding to it when it was lower and, and selling some of it when it went higher just by rebalancing your portfolio. That's how you time the market. You time the market by trying not to time the market. You look at the balances in each one of the categories that you have. If it's done poorly, but you know in the long run it's done very well, and you know why it's done very well, you know why emerging markets have done so much better than U.S. stocks if you go back to their inception? Because their economies are growing faster. The United States is huge. Yeah, it doesn't grow that fast. So if you go back long enough, Emerging markets, and, and unfortunately, like most smaller cap indexes, it's a lot more volatile. I should say, unfortunately, it actually gives you an opportunity. So these are all the kinds of things that um, will make more sense to you if you actually watch how individual stocks move, if you pay attention to how individual stocks move, if you look at what can I glean from what's happening today in the stock market, why is all this stuff so important? Because... Four and a half percent, which is the uh, new withdrawal rate that uh, you know one of the biggest asset managers in the world is saying, you know, that you probably shouldn't go a whole lot more than that. Now, again, they're talking about four and a half percent from when you begin. It also depends on how old you are. Somebody who's in their mid 80s you know, doesn't have the life expectancy of a 65 year old. So you're probably going to be able to take out more than four and a half percent. You won't be able to make that in a CD and you won't be able to make it in an equity indexed annuity. Those things are killing me. Those things are so misrepresented. It's not funny. I like uh, investment only annuities, not indexed annuities. Big difference. Huge difference. We'll talk about that in a future show. So what are we, uh, um, one of my points I wanted to, uh, come away with today for people was you got to look at your portfolio. It helps if you know how to pick stocks. It does. It'll help you pick funds. It'll help you look at what is a realistic expectation. 
if I'm going to start by pulling out 4.5% and I raise the amount that I'm pulling out by whatever the inflation rate is, there's a pretty good chance that I'll be, I'll probably be taking out double that by the time, you know, before I die. There's a really good chance that I'll live long enough to start to be taking out twice as much money by the time I pass away as I did when I started. Just looking at the average life expectancies and average inflation rates. So you're starting out at that level. You shouldn't go above six, by the way. That's like danger Will Robinson. <laughs> you got to be really old to remember that one. Yeah, danger Will. <laughs> anyway, you don't want to go above six. That That's like a, a max, you know, that uh, especially if you're in your mid-60s. Wow. Interest rates as low as they are. There's not a whole lot of safe stuff. I wanted to get to this, by the way. I do have a video that's going to be posted relatively soon on my website that talks about this. This is going to be a part of, of almost every conversation I ever have the rest of my career. It's been a big part of it so far. And that's how much of your money do you put in stocks versus safe stuff? Safe stuff, I'm talking about government bonds, CDs, things that have strong guarantees. Now, the guarantee, by the way, is only as good as the company making the guarantee or the government entity making the guarantee. Talk about that on a future show. But how much do you put in a diversified stock portfolio to keep your risk to an acceptable level? Well, see, that's where you come in. The acceptable level is set by you. So if you said, look, Bill, I don't, I, I would have trouble sleeping at night if my portfolio dropped by more than 30%. If I was down more than 30%, I'd really have trouble sleeping. Great. So we're going to take roughly 60% of the money. We're going to get a portfolio that's probably more heavily weighted towards dividend stocks because they have a tendency not to go down quite as far when the market crashes the way it did in 2009 and it tends to bounce back quicker. And we're going to take a uh, 60% of the money and invest it in a diversified portfolio of stocks that tend to be pretty resilient. Okay. So that way, if we get another 2007 through 2,900 hands and you know, S&P's down 50%, you should only be down about 30% or so. By the way, that is incredibly aggressive. Uh, well, actually, it's, it's a 60-40. <laughs> it's a balanced fund, which most people think of as being pretty conservative. You know what? I've got to take a real quick uh, call. If you'd like to call in today, the number is 216-901. Oh, pardon? Oh, okay. We're, we're too close to the break, so... <laughs> We'll come back after, uh, uh, should I hold on to this collar until after the break? Okay. Actually, Mike, hang on there. I got to take a real quick commercial break. <laughs> Sorry about that. You're listening to Bill Bullington right here on 1420. Stay tuned. I wish you could see me now. I wish I could show you how I'm not who I was. Every day I've been feeling the pressure. I always gotta know the plan. And we're back. Hey, I'm gonna go right to the phones if you'd like to call in. Got about 15 minutes left here, I think. And the number is 216-901-0945, and I'm going right to Mike. Mike, you're on. William, good morning. How are you? Good. How are you? Well, it's a beautiful weekend, and uh, you get, 20, what, 20 days like this in Ohio probably a year, right? Yeah. 
It's, uh, and you're working. Savor, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And you're working, thank God. That's okay, the, I know that. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I, I can look out the window. <laughs> well, as usual, as we do from the from our offices. Um, hey, just want to touch base and your thoughts, and you and I can obviously have lunch and chat about this. Boy, a 30-year boond went to a negative yield or a zero yeah, yield. Right. And I'm just curious, if you and I are sitting in Germany and we are investing a billion dollars, why wouldn't we take $18.8 million a year uh, and buy a U.S. 10-year treasury instead of losing fifty grand a year for 10 years with our billion uh, in buying the German Bund? And how I think there's five or six other economies uh, in Western Europe that have negative yields as well. Right. And... Uh, you know, it's just kind of something that, you know, usually there's a value to money and saving money, right, and investing right. money. Right. But in fact, um, governments, I, I just don't how that, I don't want to say pretends, because I think the central bankers are doing a lot of pretending. Uh, what does it portend for the average investor or people like us that help guide people with their money? Well, actually, if you look at uh, some of the, and this is really interesting too, if you look at some of the dividend-paying exchange traded funds that have come out over the last four to five years where they've added other factors other than just the dividend yield. They've added quality factors. Uh, and you mm-hmm. look, and you look at the dividend yields on those types of investments, they're right around 2%. Most of the comp, yep. most of the companies, uh, have a, uh, um, multinational exposure. So they're a little diversified. The, the, the big risk with a, a German buying U.S. Treasury bonds is that the exchange rate uh, goes against them, and yeah. then, then they end up losing a lot more than the uh, half a percent that you know, or one percent or so. They whatever they were going to lose. I, I'm not even sure what the rates are. I did see that, but I uh, didn't bother to check to see what just how much they were charging to hold on to somebody's money for them. So uh, yeah, talk about it. A tough yeah, spot. And, then, and, then, and then the Bank of Switzerland, I have a friend at UBS, I guess, for all the Swiss clients now, the Swiss bank is going to start charging people for deposits that are at the bank. Wow. Oh, man. Uh, they announced uh, on Wednesday, I have a friend in Michigan that gave me a call that works there, and he said, can you believe this? I, I just like, there's so many things that are changing. Um, and I, I just don't know if this is something that you learned uh, in your school of uh of, uh, of economics. And, no, it didn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they would have yeah. laughed. They would have said that there is no way that's going to happen. In fact, there was, I, and this is another thing I thought was really funny. I had an econ professor. I almost dropped the degree or the, the pursuit of the uh, diploma because this econ professor was adamant and you couldn't pass his class, by the way, um, if he didn't allow you to because he had tenure. And he had a blue book, and he wouldn't even give you your blue book back to tell you. He just gave you your score. And they wow. they couldn't fire him. And he got really upset one day because he goes, you know, the easiest way to get people to stop smoking is just to charge $5 a pack. I go, uh, excuse me, all you're going to do is create a black market for it. <laughs> you were right. And then he got so upset. You know, I mean, he was, his face turned bright red. And I knew I wasn't passing the class, so I actually just closed my book, got up, and walked out. <laughs> well, William, there's a reason they used to say something about professors and people who teach. So I'm not going to get into that because I don't want to upset anybody <laughs> listening to your show. But 
Uh, look, at the end of the day, it just, it's a world of changing place, and I think uh, you know having advice and counsel like yours is uh, paramount, especially you know going forward. And I just want to wish you well. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it, Mike. Have a good weekend. Stay with you, buddy. Thanks. Yeah, it's it's uh, crazy. By the way, that was just one guy. The vast majority of the staff there, they were awesome, uh, and uh, I really had a, I really enjoyed that whole experience. So anyway, um, didn't mean to be uh, negative on that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, think about that. The German, if you want to put your money in something super safe, they're actually going to charge you to hang on to your money now. Instead of paying you interest on the money, they're actually charging you. And that, you know, that's a relatively new uh, phenomenon, at least over the past hundred years or so. Most governments would, would pay for citizens to put money on deposit with them for uh, safekeeping so that they could use that money. Uh, to finance a lot of government projects or even just the, uh, not government projects, but their, their banking system. And uh, now they're expecting people to pay, you know, to keep their money safe. And, you know, they're doing it. it, it it's amazing. So I could just, uh, you know, it's a good thing we're not in that position yet. And I don't know if that'll ever turn out this way in, in America. I mean, it could. Uh, who would have ever thought that it would happen to Germany? That's, you know, they're actually one of the larger economies in the world and uh, extremely advanced technologically. So, I, you know, somebody once said, never say never and never say always. And I thought about that for a long time. And, I'm, you know, that's actually a pretty good saying. Never say never and never say always. Uh, things are constantly changing. That's the only constant in this world that I've ever found is change. Change is the only constant, and I know it's tough, especially when you start getting up, you know, when you start getting older, and that's why it's so important to get a good grip on this now. This The things that we're talking about in this show probably need to be taught to 12-year-olds. They really do. I think about that. I had, I had a paper out when I was 12. It, it was not a good experience. I mean, I delivered to a, an apartment complex. People kept not paying for four or five weeks. And then complaining when I stopped delivering the paper and then my route manager said, you have to deliver the paper to them. They haven't paid. Well, they're going to pay you this week. And then they would move. And who does that to a 12-year-old kid, by the way? The, uh, I'll tell you who did. A whole bunch of people. <laughs> and you would think that I would be really sore or upset by that. I was like, no, that, you know what? That was a good business lesson. I really got a really good handle on what it was like. I had to pay for each and every one of those papers. I was paying for those papers out of what should have been the profit from the people who paid their bills. So at 12 years old, that was a really good lesson. I did refuse to give them my tips. <laughs> but anyway, at 12 years old, I can understand percentages. And at 12 years old, the kids today are probably capable of understanding a lot more than that. And that's really all you need in in investing where we're talking about how what percentage of your money should you put in stocks a diversified stock portfolio whatever that that means to you what it means to me is you have several at least several hundred stocks they're exchange traded funds that that's my favorite form could be funds that are being picked by individual managers but um, my favorite is the uh, exchange traded funds because they're they're not quite as expensive and you you can know exactly what you own in those in a fund that's managed by, you know, traditionally uh, a guy like Peter Lynch, who I, you know, loved, 
Um, he really no, never knew what he was holding because he had a high turnover, rightly so. And uh, you just didn't know. So I didn't like that feeling of not knowing. I think that you're much more comfortable if you know what you own and you know what you can expect and you know how they kind of behave in various market environments. So when you know all that stuff, it's, it's a lot easier. It's a lot easier. You can control your risk significantly better if you know what you own. If you don't know what you own, you, you don't know. You just doesn't, you just don't know. And that's an uncomfortable feeling. And it's going to be most uncomfortable when the market is down a lot. That's when you're going to have the highest fear levels. And uh, so getting that knowledge, getting that education, it's a big deal. Trying to figure out how much money you should have in stocks versus bonds. It's, it's not your age minus a hundred. You know, that I'm not sure that ever worked that well. Um, but it might really, it depends on you. How much money do you have? How old are you? How much money are you taking out of the portfolio? Those things, those are factors that matter. What's your tolerance for decline? I mean, how much, and that is the most important factor. Stocks don't go straight up. Never have. They never will. You can't avoid volatility. You can only manage it. You can't avoid it, but you can manage it. How do you manage it? Well, we were talking about this a little bit earlier. What if you only took out, I'm sorry, what if you said I could take a 20% correction without panicking? All right, well, the S&P was down 50% from 2007 to 2009 was also down fifty a little over 50% from the March of 2000 to March of 2003. So you figure if it can happen twice in one 10-year time period, that's probably a decent benchmark to use. Worst case scenario, uh, it might be down. It could be down more than that, actually. But those were the two worst corrections in the past 20 years or the past 30 years. So if that were to happen again and you had 100% of your money in there, there's no, uh, you know, there's no good way to avoid that. You'd be down about 50% or so. That's too much. But what if you only had 40% of your money in there? What if you only had 40% of your money in stocks and you got the rest of your money in something relatively safe or safer? Okay. So if that were to drop by 50% and you've only got 40% invested, you're only down 20. That's a, that's a great thing. Is that going to be sufficient to help you fund the retirement that you want to have? I don't know. It depends on how much money you have and how old you are. Those factors, and it's going to also depend on what future returns are. We're going to have to guesstimate. That's what uh, statisticians like to refer to as regression analysis. It's got more than four syllables. Danger, Will Robinson. <laughs> he just used the four-syllable word. You need to, a definition of what that is. The uh, fluctuation is a really good name for it. That's what I like, fluctuates. If you're going to put up with a fluctuation of, you know, 40%, you're probably going to get come closer to earning an average return of what the stock market averages. I hear the music. That means I ran out of time. We'll pick this back up again next week. And you can always call me if you have a question. You want to set up a, a one-on-one meeting. The first one's free, no charge. Actually, most of them are free. But uh, anyway, you've been listening to Bill Bullington here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon on 1420. Have a good week, everybody. Good luck. Good investing. You just caught another edition of the Bullington Capital Report. 
broadcasting every Saturday at 11 a.m. on AM 1420, The Answer. If you have a question and you'd like to speak to Bill personally, you can call him at 330-664-0700. That's 330-664-0700. Or online at BullingtonCapital.com. That's BullingtonCapital.com. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Therefore, no current or prospective client should assume that the future performance of any specific investment, investment strategy, including the investments and or investment strategies recommended and or purchased by advisor or product made reference to directly or indirectly will be profitable. Different types of investment involve varying degrees of risk, and there can be no assurance that any specific investment will either be suitable or profitable for a client's investment portfolio. No client or prospective client should assume that any information presented serves as the receipt of or substitute for personalized investment advice from the advisor or any other investment professional. The preceding program has been paid for by Bullington Capital Management, LLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.